All right, man. What a great way to start the day, huh? Man. So I, I, I say this every week, but I'm telling you right now that I, and I hope you can tell that I believe and I know in my bones that, I, that, that, that what's happening in front of us in our church is such an honor for me to have a front row seat and for you to have a front row seat for what God is doing in this body. Now, I tell you what, is that I pray that you get, especially the men in this, in this altar and the women who are sitting in their seats, like, that we would not allow spiritual complacency and laziness to take over. Because it's, it's been an epidemic in the body for a long period of time. I pray that that would not steal the blessings that God wants you to see with your own eyes in your day, in the life that you're living. Because I, you know, I, I tell you every week that special things are happening. And I'm so pumped up and I'm overjoyed as, as we see people start turning their lives over to Jesus and, and taking their next steps, whether it be something small or something big. And I, people are, are starting to get it. I, I have conversations with people every week where they're like, man, it's just like mind-blown. I'm like, yeah, this is what we're talking about. This is it. This is it. Let's it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And our greatest desire here at this church is that, that you, would, you would experience Christ in a very, very, very real way. Not just coming to a church and sitting down and, and, and giving some high fives to people on the way in and the way out and having, having a good time together here at church, but you would be a man and woman of God who, is, who, who, who does have no fear, has no pride, and is not second-guessing anything in their life because they're called by the Son of God. That's the heart behind this. And I'm telling you this morning is that you wouldn't just come here, or if you're, not, if you're a visitor here, that you wouldn't just go to your church. But you'd understand that you've been called to be a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus keeps in step with Jesus, follows him at his every turn, at his every step. He's following Jesus because that's the heart behind what God's called us to do in the Great Commission is that we would walk in step with Christ. Because we believe in this church, and I'm hoping that every church around us believes the same thing, but that every member of the church is a missionary. Every person in a church, every person that says, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, you're, you're a missionary. And I'm not saying you're supposed to go to, to Indonesia or somewhere. I'm saying you've been called across your street. You've been called to the cubicle next to you. You've been called to the person in your family who doesn't know Christ. You are a missionary sent by God on mission to reach the loss. And we believe that the church, Justin said it so perfectly a few weeks ago, that the church is a training ground for missionaries. That blew my mind. I was like, yes, that's it. That's that's." going on our wall. We're going to put it somewhere. The church, the church is a training ground for missionaries to be sent out across our streets and our, across the oceans to people that have never heard the good news. But here's the cool part that I love about this church, this body, and this is the cool part I love about this Bible, is that we don't have to do it alone. Like we, have, we have a Father in heaven who says that we get to take part in a divine nature. That's amazing. It's awesome if you study some of that, okay? It, but look to your left. Look to your right. Look at the people that are around you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, people who have turned their lives over to Jesus. You may not be actively pursuing Christ, but you know that you've been called to minister to the people who do not know Jesus. You've been called to, to be a witness for Christ, which means, Acts 2, we've been called to live together, to worship together, to, to, to spend time together, and to go out together. The Bible says the Spirit of God dwells in you as you put your trust in Jesus. That's what it says. 2 Peter 1, it, sa it tells us that, that we're partakers of the divine nature. And when I read that, I'm like, what? Like, think about that. Think about being a partaker of the divine nature. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. 
Let it, let it sink in for a second. Let that, let that kind of, man, that's a game changer. That's huge. And, I, that's, and that's why I didn't understand myself for the first few years of my Christian life because I come to church and I sit on my hands. And I come to church and I was self-conscious all the time. I come to church and I believed everything everybody said about me was true. But the Spirit of God living inside of me is a game changer. That moves mountains. That changes perspective. Because my question now is, for you and for me, is how would you truly live if you truly, 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 if truly had faith and truly believed that you had the same Spirit living inside of you that raised Christ from the dead? If you really believe that, how would you live? Think about that for a second. Could anything get in your way? No. No. Like, nothing could stop you from telling people about Christ. Nothing could stop you from laying hands on people to pray for them to be well. Nothing could stop you from, from anything because you believed and you had faith in what Scripture said about the Spirit of God living inside of you because this stuff is true, man. There's, there's more to your walk with Christ than just a few Sundays a year coming to church. Like, He loves you. God, God loves you to the point where He sent His Son to die for you. He's poured out his blood for you, the blood that was meant to be poured out of you. He did it for you so that you can live in him and have and partake in his, in his nature and also have the inheritance that was meant for Christ. You are made for more. You, every single, and I'm talking to every individual in this room. I wish I could just have a one-on-one meeting with you right now. Let's, let's one, line up and we'll have a one-on-one meeting. Let's do it. I wish I could do it, but I can't. You are made for more. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, I don't care who you've done it with, I don't care what you've looked at or seen, I don't care how much shame you deal with or how much trouble you walk through on a daily basis or how much condemnation that you live in or experience, God is huge and he's redeemed He's redeemed everything on the cross and he's made a way back to him because he loves you and that's something to celebrate this morning, man. He's made a way back so that we can live in him and not for ourselves anymore. We don't, guess what? For all of you dealing with identity issues, guess what? You don't have to do it anymore, right? Like if you're in Christ, your identity is in him. The power that he put in Christ is in you. We can walk in that. We don't have to walk around looking at our feet. Man, I just messed up. You know, you know what I did 20 years ago? You'd never believe it. Who cares? God's redeemed it. Let's move on. He loves you. You were created with intention and with purpose. You were, you were intricately created to carry and to house the presence of God in your body, in your being, to carry it to the world, to see the presence of God move into the community. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but in, in the Old Testament, God told the, God told the Israelites to go take the promised land, to go possess the promised land, and then to transform the promised land. So there's three commands. And you see it's physical. They go, they go battle. They go take all these people out. And they, 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 they move in. And they start possessing them. They transform them because they start having babies. And they start changing the landscape of the place. Everybody starts looking like Israelites. Same way in Acts 1. Acts 1.8, he says, you'll be my witnesses in all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Well, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go take ground. You're supposed to go possess the ground. And then make disciples to transform the ground. That's what we're called to do as Christians in this place. The presence of God living inside of us, going out, who is bought by the blood of Jesus, sending us to the places that he wants us to go. And this is the motivation behind this series that we're in. Because I'm telling you this morning that we, if we would wake up to the purposes that we've been created for in, the, in, in our lives for, as Christ followers, 
I'm telling you, man, I was growing up in church. I heard statements from the deacons of all people. I just can't wait to die and go to heaven, man. I can't wait to get through this life and go to heaven. I can't wait to do. And I started like at, at the age of 12 and 13, like something's wrong with this statement. I didn't get saved to wait to die. You know what I mean? I didn't get saved to just wait till I passed away and go on to heaven. I didn't get saved to get my ticket and then live out the rest of my life here how I want to and then get to heaven. Eternity starts now. Like, I, don't, I don't accept that way of thinking anymore. Eternity starts now. I'm, I'm, I'm a kingdom citizen now. And I get to walk in that now. You are a sent one if you are a Christian. You've been sent out by the Savior of the world, by God himself to do things for him. You're an image bearer. And the spirit that lives in Jesus it was now lives in you. You're carrying that spirit into the world. And you are meant to live out kingdom principles here and now. And if you look through scripture, everybody's like, what's kingdom? What's kingdom? What's kingdom? Look in scripture and look at it. I started thinking about kingdom. Well, kingdom has laws. It has rules and it has a culture. It has a king. It has an army. It has borders. It has all these things. And so if I'm living in this spiritual kingdom, then I have to, I have to, to follow the king. I have to swear allegiance to the king. And if you go into a kingdom, in anywhere you read about in the medieval times, you hear about kings and kingdoms. When you go into a kingdom and you, you swore allegiance to that king, you were telling him, you can have all my property. You can have all of my land. You can have all my sheep and goats and cows and all this stuff. You can have my plow. You can have my fence. You can have my house. It's all your property. I'm, I'm just serving you. Now, if I'm serving Jesus, he's my king. I'm saying you can have my house. You can have my wife. You can have my kids. It's all yours. I'm following you. I'm after you. You are the one I'm after. So that's what we're looking at this morning is the biblical model of what the church should look like as we follow a king. Because it says in Scripture, in Ephesians 4, y'all go ahead and turn there. This is the last time we're going to read this um, for a while. Is, 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 is my heart is that you would see this morning as we're ending this series where you fit in on the spectrum of kingdom living as you're being equipped to carry out kingdom purpose in your life. Because the biblical model for the church has never, ever, 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 ever been a pastor getting on stage and preaching for an hour once a week, but it is the whole body of Christ that's all of us in here if you're a believer in Jesus, and you're called to stand up and say, look, I don't know what I'm gifted at, but I really want to talk about it and learn. Asking that question. That's ground zero right there. If you know where you're at and you know what you're called to, if you know what you're gifted at, then start stepping into it. Because the body of Christ, biblically speaking, was meant to function as a body. I'm going to tell you something. If you get your toe taken off or amputated, it's hard to walk, right? If you, if you, get, if you get your eye plugged out, it's hard to see, right? It's hard to walk around, right? You, you, there's, no too, there's no part too small in the body that is useless. We're all important. We all have purpose, and we all have intent in all those areas. And so it's important that we go together in that. And so... The church has been set up so that leaders would equip other people to do leadership roles, to do leader work, to do works of ministry. Ephesians 4 is going to say works of service. Other, other translations that I like a little bit better says works of ministry. And so we've been called to be equipped to do works of ministry. And so let's read this together in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 16. It says this. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip his people. Who's the people? His people are the church for works of service or ministry. Well, why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So the reason why you're being equipped is so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
It's not so that you can be patted on the back. You do that so well. You're doing a great job at your gift. Man, I want to come speak at my church. Or do. That's not why you're gifted. You're gifted to build up the body of Christ. Let's just keep reading. You're equipped to build up the body of Christ until we have all reached unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So unity and maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every cunning teach, teaching and, try to, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of which of him who is head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as the church, this has to be the mindset and the filter that we look to as we're trying to build a body of Christ, as we're trying to look to him to equip us, to empower us, and to send us. That's our heart because there's no part of the body that can function alone, separate from the body. There's no part of the body that can do that. A church that's immature, it can't be effective in kingdom work because a church that's immature and divided is simply a group of people coming together and being disobedient and effective, ineffective together on a weekly basis. That's all it is. I mean, you're, if you're not being equipped and growing to maturity, all you're doing is coming together and meeting as a social club. That's all it is. And so my heart is that you would see the two predominant themes that we see throughout Scripture and in this verse is unity and maturity, unity and maturity. And as we see these two things, we've talked about this multiple times in this series, is that this is the two, these are the two things that the enemy tries to come against. He wants to steal your maturity. He wants to steal the unity. How does he steal your unity? Be prideful, arrogant, self-focused. How do you steal your maturity? Kill your time. You're always busy. Can't got time to spend it with the Lord. Ain't got time to pray. Ain't got time to do nothing. So now I'm immature and I'm, I'm, I'm isolated. And so now, you know, he's got you where he wants you. So it's our, it's our point and it's our intention this morning is that we would wake up to his games and we would walk out of that. We would start fighting together in that because as Christians, are, are we consumed with the responsibility of seeing the church of Christ that he came to set up, reach maturity. Do we care about that as we walk in the church? Do I look at my brothers and my sisters and say, I, just, I pray they would just reach maturity. I pray, I pray that, God, you would give me an opportunity to, to help push them along, to help encourage them. Is that our hearts? Or are we so consumed about getting to our seat? Like, get in my seat, nobody talk to me again. Or is it, like, where are we at on that spectrum of living in the, in the, in the church? You know, is, are we committed to seeing the church equipped to do the work that we read about in Scripture. Are we, are we, as we read Scripture, are we, are we concerned that what we come to in this place sometimes doesn't look like this? Or are we looking at a pastor on a stage and saying, bro, what you going to do about this? Like, we're, something ain't right here. What are we going to do? Or are we going to do it together like we're called to do in the church? Because Jesus left an incredible model for us to follow. I'm not sure if you know that or not, but he left a great, great, great model for us to live after. He didn't do it all. He didn't do all the work. I'm not sure if y'all knew that or not. He didn't do all the work for his disciples. He didn't do everything for them. He didn't say, I'll do it. Y'all stay over there. He could have, but he had a strategy. He had a strategy because he wanted to set up a culture of multiplication where he was multiplying leaders who are multiplying leaders. He could have just snapped his fingers like Thanos and the Great Commission would have been done. 
Like, it's over. It's over. Great Commission's done. Let's go to heaven. That's it. But he didn't. Why didn't he do that? He had intention in kingdom work. He showed others how to do it. If you turn to Matthew verse nine or chapter 9, uh, it'll be on the screen. It's, it's a, it's, I'm reached very quickly through this. I want to show you a little example. Because he was creating ownership in his disciples. Ownership. He was creating ownership. And that's what the church is, lacks today, I think, is ownership. There's, we expect everybody else to do it, and we just kind of sit back and glean the benefit. Chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest fields. Verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits as demons and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus modeled it. He didn't say, go get them. Here's my spirit. Go get them. No, he modeled it for them, and then he handed them authority. That's huge. I'm not sure if we understand that. He gave them the authority that God had given him. When I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. That means that, I mean, me? What? What? I saw I'm like reading this. I'm like, I'm like a coffee shop. Y'all want to read this? This is awesome. Check this out. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits. These kids have been watching them. They were kids. We're watching these demons terrorize everything. They were watching these, these, these men, just, and they probably didn't know they were demons. But anyway, so there was a lot of crazy stuff happening. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, here, you go do it. I'll give you power. Boom, go. And they're like, what? And so you think about what authority means. It means the power or the right to give orders. That was awesome. It's great. So he's, he's bringing them back to Genesis 1 where God gave us the authority to rule over the earth. He's, he's, he's making those things new. He gave them the power to give orders, to, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. He empowered them so that they can empower others, not so that they can just have all this glory from casting out evil spirits and healing diseases and reaching the lost. And the whole entire reason that he gave them the power was not to cast out a demon, was not to uh, heal diseases and, and illnesses and things. He gave that to them so they can create influence to reach people's hearts for the gospel, so they can hear about the kingdom and the good news and be saved. That's why that he did that, I believe. And so... The same spirit that Jesus had given the disciples is the same spirit that gives you and me as we follow Jesus. But how many of us are living in that way? And how many of us have heard this sermon before and still aren't living in that way? You know what I mean? And so my, my heart is that we will be shaken to the core of who we are. And so there's three things real quick I want to share with you um, that, that what the church, we, as, what we, as the church, what we have to do to begin to be equipped with the works of ministry that Ephesians has been talking to us about for the last seven weeks. The very first one is stop wasting time. Stop wasting time. God, and I'm not sure if y'all know this or not, if you've opened up this book, which I, I pray you have, it's clear. <laughs> the directions are clear. The instructions are clear of where to go, what to do how to act, how to live, what, how to think, how to handle everything you're going to face in life. 
If you're struggling, find a brother or a sister and say, hey, man, I don't know what this means. Help me. Don't let pride take you away from the will of God. But the church has given itself over to fear and to laziness and to worry and to sin and in large part has lost its awe and its wonder and its fear for the Lord. And so it's taken its way out of the Bible because it just feels too uncomfortable. But that uncomfortableness is conviction that we need to pay attention to so that the conviction can finish its work in us so that God can sanctify us into the men and the women he's called us to be. Listen, in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul admonishing the, the Corinthian church, like wearing them out in much the same way as he would the American church, I believe, because they had gotten soft over the years. They, were, they had fallen into worshiping the idols of wealth, and they've, they've begun to overlook and even accept sin in the church. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, you'll have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen for you, or I won't, but Dylan will. Um, verse 34 says, Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I, I say this to your shame. Like Paul was not, he didn't pull any punches. He would not have had a lot of people in his church if, in, in, our, in our society. You, does that make sense? He was to the point because he knew the ramifications of not being this way. I looked at it. I, sometimes I do this, so if you, anybody in here has a problem with it, I'm sorry. I looked at the message. Verse 34, there's a very good translation for kind of a, a layman's terms type thing that I love. And I can hear Paul talking this way because it's kind of how I talk. Think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury that you can't afford in times like these. Aren't you embarrassed that you've let it go on for this long? So I was like, oh my gosh, that's talking to me, bro. Like, I'm like, read that again. I'm like, aren't you embarrassed that you have let it go on this, way, this long? So that's what I asked the American church today. Are we embarrassed that we've allowed our, our, our following at a distance from the Lord go on this long? Are we, are we embarrassed by that? Or are we just kind of like doing whatever? It's, it's whatever, man. You know, there's an urgency that we, have to, to, that we have to make together in this room, in this church. We have to make room for urgency. There's no time to waste. There's no time to waste trying to find yourself. I'm sorry, but there's not. There's no time to waste in building your own kingdom while God has called you to build his. There's no time to waste if you follow Jesus because if you follow Jesus, you will believe that your biggest assignment is to help others find their way back to him. Because I'm telling you right now, whenever Paul got converted, he had everything he needed and wanted, and he was the man. The moment he met Jesus, all that did not matter. He even cursed at him and said, it's, it's a pile of crap is what he said. In layman's terms, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that our hearts would be, be centered on the assignment that we've received as Christians. There's not room or time to be playing games with insecurity or disobedience because insecurity, man, I'm going to tell you, God is patient with our insecurity because I'm going to tell you right now is that insecurity, when it's left unchecked, it will always lead to disobedience. Always, because it will take us away from what God wants us to do. And we'll stop believing that we have the power put in us to do it. Because God is always patient with our insecurities, but he is always disgusted with our disobedience. He's always disgusted by our disobedience. You can look throughout Scripture, and there's, it says that you know, God is saying that, 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 that sacrifices are meaningless, and the obedience is better than sacrifice. 
And this is why the biblical literacy is so important for us, to understand what Scripture says, to read it, to listen to it, to follow it, because it's impossible to obey Scripture if you don't know it. It's impossible to just throw a dart and say, I hope this is what Jesus said about this. I'm, I think I feel right about it, right? I feel good about this, maybe. If you're living on feelings, you're missing it. It's impossible to obey Jesus' commands if we're not familiar with what he commanded. If we're basing our, our, our following of Jesus off of a cultural thing, then we're missing it. Listen, Satan, Satan is not, not a fool. He cuts at the throat of the church by distracting its members to things that of this world that seem important and they're shiny and they, they look good, but in the end, they rot away and leave us empty and alone and confused, wondering why I spent 40 years of my life trying to buy this house. Why did I spend 50 years of my life trying to raise this much money or do this much or go here or go there? Whatever, I did not make one disciple or follow Jesus the way he called me to do one day of my life. This is something that we have to pay attention to, and I'm not being rude. This is just scripture. This is just, this is just what it's, we're called to do as we follow Jesus. We have to fight for devotion. We have to get up and get in the word and, and get before God because I'm going to tell you what, Satan never takes a day off. We can't either. We have to fight for, for devotion of what God's called us to do. If we say we're a Christian in this, in this body and we don't do what, what God requires us as followers of Jesus, then by definition, we've, we are, we're liars and we've, be, we've become self-deceived. And there becomes a good reason to check ourselves and evaluate our standing before God. We have to evaluate ourselves consistently. Self-awareness is huge in our faith. Have you experienced the joy of your salvation this morning? Think through your life. Roll through the pages. Have you experienced the joy of your salvation, knowing that you were once lost, but now you're found? You were once blind, but now you see. Thank you, Jesus. And there's joy in that. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced a personal encounter with the Father? Because I want to tell you at first, it's overwhelming and terrifying, but then it gets loving and graceful, and merciful, and it's like, how do I deserve this, Lord? That's where it's at. You were called to follow Jesus and to keep in step with his spirit, to gain strength from him. That's why Galatians 5, 16 says, it says, if you, it says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the sinful nature. You want to know how to stop sinning? Exhibit A, walk by the spirit. You, won't, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature because you would not want to do anything that goes against what the Spirit says. Romans 8, just look it up. I'm telling you. Galatians 5.25 goes on and says, but if we live by the Spirit, <clears throat> let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Stop wasting time on anything. Anything that shows, that slows you down or pulls you away from the Father. Stop wasting time on anything that doesn't include being equipped by other people or equipping others. Stop wasting your times on those things because I'm telling you, they are a waste of time. And that leads me to my second thing. Strip away the things that are hindering you. Hebrews 12, favorite, verse 1 and 2. It'll be on the screen. It says this. Therefore, since we are, not since we might be, or since we one day will be, since we are surrounded currently by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Strip off every weight. If something in your life is not helping you run, throw it off. It's that important. If there's something in your life right now, I don't care if it's a sin or not. It might not be a sin. It might just be holding you back. Strip it off so that you can run better. Keep your eyes and your gaze fixed on Jesus. Because I'm telling you, that's where it's at. Because the greatest threat to your soul is whatever keeps you away from God. The greatest threat to your soul is whatever, whatever tempts your gaze over here or over here. That is the greatest threat in your life. For many of us, perhaps some of the, the greatest threats to our souls are not sin, but some of the good things that, that God has given us. Some of the blessings that God has given us, it might not be sin, but it, it might be something that you turn into an idol. Because what sin does is it takes the gifts and the responsibilities and the, and, the, and the giftings and the graces that God's given us, and he makes them excuses for avoiding time with God and avoiding God altogether because we're doing something that turns into works-based theology. And what keeps you from being equipped for the works of the Ephesians is talking about, you know, that, that's what it's about. Is, and because this is the question I want to ask you, like, not rhetorically. Who in here wants to, do the, wants to be their very best at the gifting that God has put in them? Who, who wants to be the very best? A few of us. A few of us, okay. Okay, well, let's get, we'll talk about it later. Um, I'm, I'm assuming all of us want to be very good at what God's gifted us in. Not just good, we want to almost perfect it because we want to serve God the best we can. Right? I'm going to speak for you and just say that's probably what you want to do. Okay? All right. I'm just going to say, okay. To do that, though, we have to shed every distraction, no matter how good the distractions feel or how good it may seem or how much somebody else may think you should be doing it. Because I'm telling you right now, the last voice you need to listen to is somebody telling you what you should or shouldn't be doing that has, does not have the Word of God in their heart. It's important that we understand that. Have you seen the goodness of God? Have you seen, has your, has, your, has your eyes seen the glory of God? Have you have something taken your eyes off of him? Well, we have to shed those things. Have our hearts become deadened by the things in our lives that because we're so busy, we can't even see straight. You know, time with God almost seems like a joke because we barely have time to go to the bathroom. You know, we, we're busy. Anybody else? I don't, we're busy people because we got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. But I'm telling you right now, all throughout Scripture, you see, you had to fight violently and claw to make time to be in the presence of God. To be in the presence of God. Because time in the presence of God is more important than your family. It's more important than your job. It's more important than all these things because everything else is going to gain strength or weakness from there, if you're there or not. I'm telling you. Meditating on His Word. Allowing Him to change your heart to guide your life, to show you where you need to go. And there's a line being drawn in the sand, I believe, in this church. I believe there's a line being drawn in the sand of the church today, and it's time for us to man up and, and make a choice and to stop living on the fence. You know what I mean? It's time for us to, to make a decision where you follow Christ. Because many of you may have walked an aisle when you were 10. Many of you may have raised a hand when you were 30 or 15, 8. But that was the last time you were on the path that Christ was wanting you on, maybe. I don't know. I'm telling you right now, will you follow Christ or will you not? Or 
what you do like some of us have done and I've done in my life, and I've tried to change the definition of what it means to follow Jesus so I can make myself feel better when it's written right here in Scripture of how we're supposed to follow Christ. Or you fall prey to the insecurities and we miss it. Because our hope today is that you would decide who you were going to follow and to give it everything you have. Everything you have. Stop being a marginal Christian. Stop falling at a distance and you would draw scary close to Jesus. You would draw scary close to Jesus and, and love him because he loves you. Number three is to take idolatry and sin seriously. The third thing we have to do to start being equipped, take idolatry and sin seriously. The Bible talks extensively about idolatry and sin. And it's not pretty most of the time if you read about it. It's not very pretty. Like God is not, he's, he's jealous. He's not going to be share time with other gods or other idols. He's not going to do that. You know, one, one of the time, one of, our hearts have to be committed to holiness and, or we're always going to drift to something that makes us feel, feel, feel better or feels the, makes us promises that it will fill the empty places of our hearts that only God can fill. There's a verse in, in Mark that it's pretty, it's pretty intense. I ain't going to lie to you. It's Mark 9. And it talks about the extreme, the extreme mindset we have to have towards sin. It says this in verses 43, 45, and 47. It says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Like, Mark, relax. He says, it's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. Tell me the Bible never talks about hell. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now listen, it's my thought, and some people may disagree, but it's my thought that Jesus isn't saying, cut off your hands, pluck out your eyes. I feel like he's saying, take sin that seriously. That changes things. I think he's saying, cut off every opportunity that you have to that sin. Cut off every opportunity that you have to get back to that place. Because you've been saved from that. Don't return to it any longer. Because I want to tell you, the Bible says that in James 1, it says that this are desires that pull us away from Jesus into sin. It's our desires. The enemy knows how to trip you up. He's not a fool. He's not crazy. He knows exactly how to mess you up. It mess you up good. And the bad thing is, he's got eternity to do it. He can outweigh you. I'll wait 10 years. I'll be good. No, he can outweigh you, bro. I'm telling you. He will be waiting 15 years from now to trip you up on something you allow to be a stronghold today. And I'm telling you, that's how hard we had to fight to cut off those opportunities. Because let me tell you, if you put a, a, a crack pipe in front of me and said, hey, smoke this, I'll be like, no. Why? I don't desire that. But Satan, he knows what I desire, and he tries to trip me up with that. You know what I mean? He tries to trip you up. But listen, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about being a new creation, having new desires, putting, putting a new spirit inside of us. So we have to be in this word, killing the sin and the idols, not wasting any more time, stripping away the things that, that hinder us so that we can be equipped. Because let me tell you something, if I'm giving myself over to sin, if I'm giving myself over to idols, if I'm wasting my time watching the Friends for the 15th time, if I'm doing all this stuff because I ain't got time to see, I, I have no time for God. I have no time to be equipped. I have no time for Him to pour into me because I'm too busy with my own life. And I'm going to tell you right now, and people will tell you this is true, I struggle with this probably more than y'all struggle with this. I struggle with this a lot. 
but there will never be any equipping in your life until you get this right. Because I'm telling you, today, do you have sin in your life? Is there known sin that you're struggling with today? Don't leave the same. Don't be too prideful to come up here and get prayed over. This is not a place of shame, guys. I'm telling you, we just had 30 or 40 men laid on their faces at the altar begging God to come in this place. This is, this is a place of, of, of hope and of healing. And there's something here this morning that I want to tell you is if you're struggling with that, that will hinder your sanctification and your growth. That will hinder and will steal your joy. So, so we see there's, there's three things. Like we talked about what, what do we do? But to, be, but to be committed to being equipped, guys, we have to be committed to maturity. Personally, are you spending time with God not so that you can check it off and you've done your Jesus Calling book and you've done a couple of verses and now you feel better about your day? That's not what it's about. It's about getting changed from the inside out, allowing Scripture to be applied to your life and become food to your soul. That's why Jesus said, I have food you ain't got no idea about. He was being fed by God and by the Spirit and by the Word. That's what we're called to do. Are you caring about other people around you? Are you caring about the person in your connect group that's struggling? Do you want to see them grow in their faith? We need to. We have to. We have to be committed to unity in the body. And this starts with you guys as an individual. This doesn't happen by you waiting on someone else to do it. It doesn't happen by you seeing a need and waiting around to see it get filled. It doesn't happen that way. It happens by you seeing a need meeting a need. It sees you stepping up into the calling that God has on your life from birth. It sees you stepping into those places and setting a standard and leading the way and not waiting on Michael to do this or somebody else on staff to do this, but to walk it out as we see in Scripture to be able to do those things because we can look in Acts 2 that we're going to be starting a series on next week that, for all you OGs, that's where we're going back to Acts 2. Um, so they, they were together. They were together all the time. They were, they were, they had everything in common, but they had everything in common. It didn't mean they were all oh, looked the same or acted the same or had the same type of house. It meant they were gathered around the name of Jesus and they had the gospel at the core of who they were and that's what mattered. Race didn't matter. Political scene didn't matter. Nothing mattered. The only thing that mattered was Jesus at the center. Everything else didn't matter because we had Jesus and he's all we need because I'm seeing with kingdom eyes now and my physical eyes are moving away and I'm starting to see with his spirit inside of me and that's what it's about. They weren't divided on those trivial things. It's about, it's about Jesus in us being seen through us. And then the last thing is we need to be committed to the gospel. We say it all the time around here as we close. To grow in Christ is not to go away from the gospel or beyond the gospel. You grow by going deeper into the gospel, to learn more about the gospel, to go deeper into its truths. When you come face to face with the beauty and the weight of who Jesus is that's found in the gospel, you can't help but share it. I mean, let's just get real for a second. I mean, I like being real, obviously. The, the real reasons why a lot of Christians won't share the gospel is because they haven't experienced it personally. And this is what you call a cultural Christian or an unsaved Christian or whatever that realm is, it's 2019, you know. They just have this distant association to the gospel. I know the gospel, I've heard it my whole life, you know, I've done this and that, but I've never actually allowed it to, the, 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 to penetrate my heart. 
And the whole reason we started this series was to reveal the heart of God for the church and to call this body into action. To call it into action. Being activated. Being moved. Not just walking out the door and coming back next week, but getting into a connect group. Getting involved in outreach. Getting involved in discipleship. Getting involved in this community. To point out the deception that happens in the church. Because the church is an army. It's an army. It's not an audience. It was meant to be an army that takes ground, not an audience that comes and sits and listens. It's meant to be powerful. The church has to become, the church has become more of a business than it's been a body. The, the more, the, it's been more about the more people that we can get into the doors than it has, than it has been about the, the, the power that we have to empower other people to do the works of Jesus and to send them out the doors. It's been more about attracting people because I'm telling you, I desperately want our church to be known by not our, 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 our success being found in our seating capacity. We had 10,000 people. Yes. No. I desperately want our church to be known for our sending capacity, sending out the doors to plant churches, to send missionaries, to see disciples made, to see all these things happen the way we read about in Scripture. And I know I want to share a quick story with you I read this week. Um, a friend, of, a pastor friend of mine sent it to me, and I just, I honestly cried. I was like, this is the church. And I was reading this, and this is the, this is the heart that I've written, I kind of wrote most of this, these sermons off of as we're going through this series. But this is what it says. It's, a, it's an article written by David Reiser. He says, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching at a school of ministry. My students were hungry for God, and I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and to become voices for revival in the church. I came across this quote attributed most often to Reverend Sam Pascoe. It is a short version of the history of Christianity, and it goes like this. Christianity started in Israel as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. Some of the students were only 18 or 19 years old, and I wanted them to understand and appreciate the import of the last line. So I clarified it by adding an enterprise that's a business. After a few minutes, Martha, the youngest, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand. I cannot imagine what her question might be. I thought the little vignette was self-explanatory and I thought I had performed it brilliantly. Nevertheless, I acknowledged Martha's raised hands. Yes, Martha. She asked such a simple question, a business, but isn't it supposed to be a body? I cannot envision where this line of questioning was going, and the only response I could think of was yes, she continued. But when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? The room went dead silent. For several seconds, no one moved or spoke. We were stunned, afraid to make a sound because the presence of God had flooded into the room, and we knew we were on holy ground. And all I could think of in that sacred moment was, wow, I wish I had thought of that. I didn't dare express that thought aloud. God had taken over the class. Martha's questions changed my life. Six months later, I thought about her question at least once every day. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? There's only one question. There's only one answer to her question. The answer is yes. The American church, tragically, is heavily populated by people who do not love God. How can we love him? We don't even know him. I mean, really know him. I stand by my statement that most American churches do not know God, much less love him. The root of this condition originates in how we came to God. Most of us came to him because of what we were told he would do for us. We were promised that he, was, he would bless us in life and take us to heaven after death. We married him for his money. 
and we don't care if he lives or dies as long as we get his stuff. We made the kingdom of God into a business, merchandising his anointing. This should not be. We are commanded to love God and are called to be the bride of Christ. That's pretty, that's pretty intimate stuff. We are supposed to be his lovers. How can we love someone we don't even know? And if we do know someone, is that guarantee that we truly love them? Are we lovers or prostitutes? I was pondering Martha's question again one day and considered the question, what's the difference between a lover and a prostitute? I realized that both do, some, some, do many of the same things, but a lover does what she does because she loves. A prostitute pretends to love, but only as long as you pay. Then I asked the question, what would happen if God stopped paying me? For the next several months, I allowed to God search me to uncover my motives for loving and serving him. Was I truly a lover of God? What would happen if he stopped blessing me? What if he never did another thing for me? Will I love him? Please understand, I believe in the promises and blessings of God. The issue here is not whether God blesses his children. The issue is the condition of my heart. Why do I serve him? Are his blessings in my life the gifts of a loving father? Or are they, are they a wage that I've earned or a bribe payment to love him? Do I love God without conditions? It took several months to work through these questions. Even now, I wonder if my desire to love God is, is always matched by my attitude and behavior. I still catch myself disappointed with God and angry that he's not met some perceived need in my life. I suspect this is something which is never fully resolved, but I want more than anything else to be a true lover of God. So what is it going to be? Which are we, lover or prostitute? There's no prostitutes in heaven or in the kingdom of God for that matter. There were plenty of former prostitutes in both places. But take it from a former prostitute when I say there is no substitute for unconditional, intimate relationship with God. And I mean there is no palatable substitute available to us. We must choose. So as I read that, I was like cut to the heart, as you can imagine. So my question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus? I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how many times you've been to the altar. I don't care how many times you've said a prayer. I don't care how many times you raised a hand in church. Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you know the Creator this morning? And this is not a pride thing. My heart is that everyone in this room would drop their, their mask and love Jesus. My heart is that everyone in here would come broken to this altar and say, Father, please change my heart. I've been so distant. I don't care about what time it is. I care about Jesus flooding your heart. And so this morning, will you come to him? Because a real encounter with Jesus will change your life. Because my prayer this morning is that you would get real with Christ. My prayer this morning is that, is that you would really come to Jesus before his presence and be broken before him. And so this morning, I want to give you a real opportunity. And I, we have people on each side of this room right now that would love to pray with you. If there's something in your life that you're not sure about, you know what? I don't know if I'm saved. I need to ask some questions. Come to the left or the right. They would love to lead you through that process of asking those questions. But if you're here this morning and you know for sure that you're not saved, but you know that's your next step. If you know you've never had a real encounter with God, it's been religion, religious jargon, and, and you've, been, you've treated God as a prostitute, my opportunity right now that I'm giving you is to, to come into a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you this morning, you know you've never made that step, I just want you to be bold and raise your hand so I can pray with you personally. Is there anybody here this morning? Anybody? Okay. If, if, if it is, don't leave the same. Come and talk to us. We would love to talk to you. Let me pray for you, and then we can um, go on. So, Father, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I praise you, God, because 
You've, you've done so much through your son. I pray, God, right now, God, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, if there's, if there's idols in this room, I pray that you would break them down. Father, if there's brokenness in this room, Father, I pray that you would heal it. God, I pray that you would not allow any person in, this, in these seats to leave the same way they came, Father. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. We give you all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen.